We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash hack it out. Just go to Indeed.com slash hack it out right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash hack it out. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hack it out, golf podcast time. Myself, Mark Crossford, Lou Stagnon, Scott Fawcett. As always, today we're going to be talking ball flight laws, the change in the ball flight laws. So when the ideas of what made the ball curve and what started the ball in a direction changed, what effects did it actually have on golf? And Scott and Lou have posed an interesting question of actually did it make anyone a better player or not, knowing that little bit more about what shapes the golf ball. Should be a fun one. Scott and Lou, welcome. Ball flight laws. Are we all up to date with our ball flight laws? I know you are pretty much, Scott, I think. Lou, are you with me on the ball flight laws? I, yeah, I yeah. want to talk my, out. You my, know where. Yeah. I think the primary ball flight law is hitting two inches behind is not good. <laughs> Doesn't matter what your greenside bunker is <laughs> when you hit two inches behind. Um, so that's the one I'd work on the most. Yeah, absolutely. And Scott, what are your ideas of the ball flight laws? As in, when did it change for you? Were you playing in a round when it did change or did you kind of get back in and it, they were changed and you wanted to learn about them? How did it play for you? Yeah, I mean, so I quit playing professionally in late 2001, and then I met Como playing, Chris Como playing in an underground poker game in probably 2003 or four. And then that was when, you know, once we got to talking about golf one night at the poker table, I went out the next day and got a lesson from him. And that was the first thing we kind of went through was just modern ball flight laws. And it was just incredible because just the simple understanding that you hit a fade, you know, with the face left of the target, it's like, it's just an earth shattering revelation. Once you just tell I me mean, the human body is just incredible at doing whatever it is that it does and just giving it accurate information of what you need it to do. I mean, it's just incredible that, that we all played the game at such a high level with incorrect ball flight laws. Like I truly think that's it's stunning how well the game was played. And I mean, as recently as four, five or six years ago, you know, I was watching, I used to have it in my seminar where Nick Faldo was talking about, out in Hawaii, I feel like I've mentioned on this podcast before, I was talking about in Hawaii, the, the Faldo 5-0, a play off the, uh, the old TV show Hawaii 5-0. And he was talking about how to hit this draw on one of the holes and you know point the face left of the target and then swing it out. And I'm like, if you actually do that, you're going to smother hook it, man. And it's just incredible that somehow we pulled it off, not basically not doing what we were trying to do as well as we did, but just understanding it. You know, and it, it's really what helps you understand like a power fade. I had a guy on Twitter just the other day that was talking about 
hitting a draw for him goes 40 yards further on this one particular hole than a fade. I'm like, well, then your driver's not very well set up for a fade. Like it's not like a draw comes out with top spin. It's just understanding what actually makes the ball do what you want it to do. I think it's, it's the most important thing. That's where you have to start every golf lesson with is, do you understand this? And then we can move forward from there. Yeah, a couple of points there before we go on to Lou, your ball flight laws history. Were you playing and did you like change? So just to give you an idea, Trapman came out in 2003. So the oh, reason wow. I mentioned Trapman is Trapman mm-hmm. was the instigator. So it's Frederick Tuxon, who was the inventor of Trapman, was the first voice to start saying face the path and st- um, those kind of ideas. He was the one, and Trapman was the one that really drove the idea of measuring ball flight and then actually finding out what really was happening. How did your development of ball flight laws go as a you know as someone playing golf? And did it make you play better if you do understand them now or not? Because Scott says it's quite interesting that he can't believe people played well not knowing them. Well, I can. I, I, I don't think it's a surprise. But what, what are your thoughts? Like, how did it work for you? Um, I didn't really know about modern ball flight laws until maybe 2008, yeah. 2007, um, somewhere in there. And I, I don't remember exactly when or where but it was around that time frame and and prior to that um it was the the old cliches that uh, that i'd always heard I, I don't know if it how much of a difference it made uh, it's hard for me to uh, hard for me to say i can say you know back then i was playing the best golf of my life back then before i knew what the ball flight laws were but that's only because i played a whole lot and practiced a whole lot. Um, I don't know if I would have been better growing up in the age of TrackMan. Um, that's an interesting question. Um, would I have been better if I had TrackMan in 1995? Um, I don't know. What do yeah, you think, I think Mark? you would have. You would have got a better quality of lesson and whatever you worked on would have been focused towards measured improvement rather than you would have been generally working on feels, things that feel better. And often for golfers, things that simply feel better might not shift the needle in any way at all um so where i don't think the ball flight laws particularly made someone better or worse i I can't think of an individual case where someone was now better because they understand the ball flight laws to not but if you can't do something so if you're not very good at something so let's forget all those tour players who didn't want to learn them and still went on articles and would say like scott said there aim the face at target swing to the right do it you draw those kind of ideas as a right-handed golfer um well just the things too that you can manipulate that with ball position i think that's a a foundational you know like a watershed moment for me also just realizing that i don't have to necessarily change my swing and i can move the ball back in my stance and hit a draw like just yeah but you've kind of already you've always known that as well to a certain extent because you've always known that your punch shot has a tendency to draw so i've always known i remember playing a tournament as a 13 14 year old and punch fading a shot um and having to consciously really try and fade a punch shot because I knew it would naturally move to the left. Um, I don't know that I knew that. Though. I, I mean, might not have been was... able to articulate that, but I did. I distinctly remember the hole. It was at Tibbet and Golf Club in the Devon Amateur. It was, I remember it. And I just remember there was a county like picker on the back and they were like, wow, that was a clever shot that you were trying to do there. Um, you know, I just, I, I just remember good players knew that a draw, uh, a punch shot drew a bit more. Uh, yeah, I don't think I knew that. 
again, I was a pretty inexperienced professional golfer. Like I just really, I never specialized in golf and because of injuries and transferring and everything, I never actually played that much college golf. I don't think I knew that. I mean, I know I didn't know that. I, I, yeah. That, that I find that amazing. I yeah. I was always like trying that. to change my swing path by some mechanics in my swing as opposed to any sort of ball position. I, I think that you would be more of the anomaly on that than me, honestly. I, I'm not amongst good players. I mean, most good players I talk to would always understand if they're punching it, that it was going to draw a bit more. I've, you know, I, I, you got to remember I've played punch shots all my life playing on Lynx golf. It's a stable, you know, I'm hitting like probably 60% punch shots when I played in amateur tournaments all around Lynx golf. And most amateurs, apart from them having a real distinct shape going into the round, so let's, you know, they're big faders. So when they hit their punch shot, it just straightens them out. Most people would aim down the right for their punch and wind off the right punching. Most people would know, well, like this could be dangerous. Like this ball could get going if I don't aim this in the right place or do something to stop it. Um, I mean, what the ball flight laws did for me is allowed me to quantify my lessons more. It allowed me to have a much better foundation to build my knowledge base out of and also to have the confidence to be able to say to students why something was happening, you know, not just give them cliche after cliche. It was it, the, the measured understanding of these laws allowed me to really back up what I was saying to paying clients in a way. And I've said it before many times where I could stand up on the biggest stadium in the world in front of peers and say, look, this is why I'm saying this because it's measured and this is how it performs. Um, so I do think people have got better because of the modern ball flight laws, but the main reason is because they start looking at the other things around the ball flight laws and how it changes. So just simply looking at Bryson DeChambeau's driver and the way he tries to hit it, that's all built around what we've learned from the ball flight laws. You, you see the connection there, surely. Like that's just born out from the measurements and starting to understand what makes that ball go. Different launches, different spins with different curvatures. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Absolutely. I mean, again, that's why I think Bryson's in such a unique position because he plays that draw. And, you know, it's funny, actually, because I finally started hitting a few balls in my simulator here as my elbows get a little bit better. And I'm screwing around with those Jumbo Max grips and it's making my grip be weaker because it's just hard to get your your left yeah I, I i'm always weaker with those jumbo grips yeah and, and honestly though and i don't know if it's just <laughs> i haven't played golf in eight months but I'm, I'm hitting it pretty solid but i'm hitting a little draw with my irons and it's so funny because i just remember as a kid you know we were told like a a harley grip like you know like a motorcycle vroom vroom your left hand super strong was a hook grip and then the other one was a fade grip and it's like actually if you find people that are good at golf with a super strong grip they're pretty much going to hit a fade for the most part, obviously Zach Johnson draws it from there, but most players with a strong grip do fade it. And most players with a weaker grip tend to tend to draw it. It's, it's actually kind of the opposite of that. And I'm kind of wondering if I've done the same thing to myself here with trying those bigger grips, if it's uh, if it's changing my swing to where it's easier to play a draw. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The bigger grips, definitely. You'll just be putting more forearm rotation in those. So you'll be taking out whatever you're doing with your wrist and putting more forearm rotation in is what I tend to find. I've got actually a video where with Bryson's measured wrist angles um, on YouTube. I'll dig it out and send you a link, Scott, because it's quite interesting how he does manage his club face from that very weak upright position it's something that i tried in a video with um uh on a bigger grip and it was interesting it definitely does make you think differently um i got it i need to interrupt because uh, i i always i always like to take our podcast and turn it towards me yeah and how we go can help it. my game so because <laughs> i was just about larger, to say something about you go exactly on. exactly you are so the larger average grips, listener, though <laughs> yeah larger i do represent the common golfer yeah um larger grips would they help me mark is no, that so, something so I should look at? That's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I've got, I've got to make a swing, a rope swing aid with a big grip on yeah, it. Now. I was literally just before you said that, I was just about to say, so in ideas of measured flights and ball flight laws and what have you, as my experience with students, Lou would be a classic example for me as someone, I would be very careful how much information I give. In <laughs> Look, I already, because, listen, I already got because the... he's because Lou is the kind of personality that likes to like take massive deep dives into the data or into the rules, and then what that does is it often takes away from people with Lou's kind of mindset into focusing on what they need to do. I've had so many students, so instantly when you say that, Lou, about the bigger grips it's it, it no i don't i mean they could help you they could not it's one of those things you need to measure that like well, i just things, i just ordered I mean, a set of jumbo max yeah, grips yeah, so yeah. as i was talking <laughs> well as we're talking free return so it's yeah. no no harm no foul jumbo grips and a couple more teaching aids <laughs> where the ball fight laws the change of them has been fantastic for coaching and really revolutionized it definitely you do have to be careful with certain students this is where a good coach can really read students quickly they learn to read them quickly i always think you've got to be so careful what information you do give to some students because you just find them going down rabbit holes that just don't help them they're not going anywhere um you know you can you, you it takes away often from the main issue which is similar to what you were saying there lou you know the main issues we've talked about them but you're always looking for secret little answers like would this do it would that do it would this teaching aid do it you're the one who will actually do it there's no secret little answer no there I'm actually afraid. is a secret <laughs> out there um i i forgot about this one there is a training aid out there that greg norman sponsored called the secret from 20 plus years ago do you remember that i don't know I, no. I, I found it i found you the got secret. it um, is no. it still for sale uh it's still for sale for sure yeah the secret, I that was an old movie ordered two imagining of them. <laughs> i've ordered one for each hand <laughs> <laughs> one for each practice area yeah, there you go <laughs> so would you how much would you look i mean because obviously you've both got launch monitors for instance uh i have a sky track uh, i yeah. don't have a gc quad you have a sky track that does a bit of face though doesn't it and does a bit of path does uh, it? i mean i can not... i can determine i can decipher what the face is doing but it does there's no club head measurements at all but okay, based so on it's ball yeah it's ball only but based on what the ball's doing i can I can kind of loosely back into face. But angle of attack can change that a ton too, though. Sure, it can. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, when you when you flare one seventy yards right, you kind of got an idea of what yeah, angle of attack didn't have much to do with that. <laughs> 
Because how much do you go down the rabbit hole when you're practicing with your quad, uh, Scott? Do you get lost? Because one, one thing, I, I I was a real early uptaker of um, launch monitors. To be fair, I don't know when I first had TrackMan available to me. It might have been 2003. I reckon I would have been one of the first in the country and close to the world who had one because of where I was, the person that I worked with and for at one point, he used to sell them in the UK. He was one of the first people to sell them in the UK. Remember how much they were initially? How much were they? You remember? Oh, I don't. 18 grand, I think, off the top of my head. Do you still have your original? No, because it wasn't mine. It was his. I had access to it. The first launch monitor I ever bought for myself was GC2 HMT, so quad, basically old quad. Um, And, um, you know, that's the thing that the new ball flight laws did is they made me think, I just can't teach without this. Like, you just have to teach with it. You just, you know, if I'm not, if I'm teaching without this, I don't think I'm giving value for money, as I remember definitely and still do think that now. But my point was, I used to make sure I didn't hit too many. When I was actually still caring how I played and I would hit a few balls as a younger coach, um, I would get off the quad. I found it. You can get again. I would get lost. How much do you get lost in the numbers, Scott? Or are you pretty good at not getting lost in them because you're still kind of learning them or you don't know which ones to move? Like, Because well, I had to walk away from mine. Same way I used to have to walk away from video. I was a really up, early uptaker of video in the golf swing years ago. And you just found yourself wasting time doing nothing. I'm definitely curious as I, as I start, I mean, again, I've had a Skytrack for a few years, but obviously like Lou said, it doesn't give you any real data, like swing data to, to do much off of. And I just got my quad and then had surgery three weeks later. And I'm just now finishing up my, uh, my simulator. And it's funny because, you know, I've got the, the face dots on, I've been hitting a few shots and I really haven't been paying attention too much to the numbers. I'm just kind of really still just trying to loosen up. Yeah. But I know from me and my personality and my past, it's definitely going to be something I'm going to have to watch. But I also, again, I catch enough grief for being you know arrogant about saying I'm a plus five all the time, but whatever. I'm pretty yeah. good. And I kind of know what I'm doing now. You like, know I a plus six, yeah? You, you know what I'm going Probably a plus one now. I, I can't <laughs> yeah. even barely crack, crack par because I haven't played <laughs> golf in eight months. But um, I, 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 I do know that it'll be something I've got to keep an eye on that I don't go too far. But I really, once I, I feel like once I see what my numbers are on this quad, it's going to be really easy for me to just try certain feels and see how much it changes a number. Yeah, so that's good. Try feel for 10 shots and just see what happens. Like I, I, I hope I don't tinker myself out of being a good player in here. I really do kind of just want to use it to just figure out what exactly my numbers are and then how to stay within those. Yeah. And I love that. And that's something I would advise for anyone who's um, like with working on their own game launch monitors, absolutely tinkering to find out what feels mean, what in relationship to club path and lofts and lies and the rest of it. Um, what I ended up doing is I ended up just not having the fact, fe- I just wouldn't put the dots on, on the clubs I was practicing with. So I would yeah. get, you know, my dispersions and I would get the ball flight and look for any funky spins and those kind of things. Because what the other thing you notice is that your numbers are just your numbers. Like you say it before in other pods when we look at data and it's the same with club data, it settles and a better player, it settles quite quickly. 
Like yeah. your numbers are just your numbers. Um, and you'll be surprised, even Lou, like Lou, I guess you're a guy, I hear this all the time. And this is where the new ball flight laws in turn, then measuring really helped for me as a coach. I used to get students who would go, oh, I come over the top on that one. Oh, I was, I was too quick on that one. Like they have all these, like, they think their swing is different every time because they hit <laughs> a very different shot each time. But what happens even with some of the craziest amateur golfers I've taught is their numbers don't move. They do not move strike moves. And then you get the odd person who has a bit of a face variant. So they can have like, you know, two close to a path and then four open to a path, which they're a bit scary. Lou pointing at you. you <laughs> You've got that problem. Um, but generally, you know, you've got someone who hits a 40 yard, 50 or 30 yard cut and they want to calm that down. Their numbers are just the same every time. The only thing that varies where that ball goes is when they hit one right out the heel or right out the toe or off the top or the bottom or a combination of those two. Would you believe that as an amateur golfer? Do you think each one of your swings or the people you play with swings are different? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, I think my swing is very similar from swing to swing. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think it changes much. I yeah. think the the face at impact it can be very different um but i think that's, you... that's quite rare like your face at impact is i don't see i see i've seen enough of you but you aren't my normal lesson like you're out of you're two out of ten at the most that come through when i was teaching full-time i would get two out of ten. with regards to what so lou so what happens is you generally get people their face is always open to a path Okay, I got gotcha. you. And then you get face and is less get, consistent than Pat. That's why I was, I was, I was. So, yeah, so what Lou can get is Lou can get a face that's close to a path, but the next shot he can get one that's open to a path. So, like, do the maths on that. Like, where are you standing in the crowd when Lou's on the tee? It's literally like, oh god, I don't know which <laughs> one's coming out. Uh, yeah, especially <laughs> and, when it's coming out at 170 yeah, mile an hour at, ball speed. And to be fair, Lou fits the pattern and it is just a stereotype that I, you would get these two out of 10 and I would say 1.5 of them were generally very quick swingers as well. So you get this combination of someone who can hit dramatically both directions, but at ridiculous speeds. And I, and I, this when I used to get these lessons, if they came at the wrong time and I was a bit tired, my heart used to drop. I'll be honest with you. Because I used to, they're, they're hard lessons because they're, they take a lot longer to fix. You're not going to fix them in the session you've got with them. Where if you've got someone who's got the face always open to a path, it's just constantly always open to a path, you can calm it down and you calm their dispersions down and they walk out really at me. Get someone swinging at speed like Lou. He has a face two closed, then one six open, then one four open, then one eight open, then one five closed. It's like, oh... Like you have to get me, if you're booking a real lesson with me, Lou, you have to come at about three o'clock in the afternoon. You cannot come after six because I'm done. I'm tired. And if you bring that game, I'm literally, I'm out. It seems <laughs> like, like it needs to be your first one right after a pot of coffee, maybe. Yeah, it needs to be like three o'clock. So just, just block off your morning. Peaking after lunch. Do you know what I mean? Making you earn your money. <laughs> yeah. 
There you go. <laughs> because you've got um, you, this is based. This podcast was based on a tweet that Lou posted from 1998 from a golf magazine. So I think it was entitled something like the Five Truths or Yeah, facts. I got it right here in front of me. Golf what magazine, December 1998. The Five Facts of Impact. And uh, from the article, it says, for full swings, the path of the club head through the hitting area in large part determines the shot's initial direction. Yeah. Which we know. Doesn't it say velocity- because of the club head or something? Doesn't it say because of the velocity? Doesn't it go As on? the velocity of the swing forces the ball in the same direction the club head is moving. And so we yeah. know that that's just not, not true. Um, so, so my question then to finish this pod based on that, and it's a tough question. We, that wait, I, we're not finishing anything. We got more work to do on my swing. I mean, yeah. What are we doing here? <laughs> Well, all I want well, you to do is keep swinging it faster, dude. That's what I'm yeah, like. Yeah, I do. And I want to play with you swinging it fast with the club face. I just want to see them go. Like, have you heard of the red arrows or not? You guys, have you heard of the red arrows? <laughs> no. no. Okay. So they're like a flying troop in the UK that like go, you know, they're like specialized pilots basically, but they fly everywhere. So it's... Oh yeah. Like our blue angels. Well, yeah. but I'll tell you what I'll tell you though. So is Lou would you be understand... like them. Once you understand dispersion, though, and I started to say this a second ago, this doesn't really fit in with our podcast, but I think it's incredible because what you're saying, obviously, is that the ball is going to go anywhere. Number 16, the Mark Crossfield hole-in-one hole at Torrey Pine. Oh, yes, please. (laughs) I'm going to bring that up. That hole, this year, two players, it's 233 yards. The furthest left to the furthest right player was 74 yards this year. Wow. I mean, 74 yards on a that's par it. three. That's it, rookies. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. a 233-yard par, th- par three. Now, how, does that, how does that work then? Because on the left, there's the ravine. There's the ravine. He was that... not up by much. So <laughs> that guy was over by the cart path. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, I mean, wow, that's a, that's a pretty big spread on uh, it's for a 233 huge yards. Spread. Yeah, yeah someone's huge. hit a little bit of a JR for there. Well, they? I got 74 yards in, in each direction, though, so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So my last question then, and this is a tough one. I don't know if we'll have an answer, but it's a really good question. I like this. I'm proud of myself with this question. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So what truths that we believe now will not be true in however, 10 years, 20 years time? Because we're going 1998. So what, we're 23 years on from now. What truths are we preaching now, saying now that won't be true then? Oh, that's, a, that's a hard question to answer. It is a hard I've, question I've because we to... sit here in our, this is how time works. Timelines are fantastic, aren't they? Because we sit there in our modern day all going, oh, isn't that funny? Look at that, the truths. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're document. I'm videoing most of the things I say. And with podcast is like, it's now, it's putting it down. It's there forever. And we're saying things, but they might not be true in 2020, in 20 years, 21 years time. What can anyone think of any? That is that is literally the reason I chose to create an app instead of write a book because a book is just permanent. I mean, and I I wanted the ability to be able to because I do try to question decade and course management. Like I try to poke holes in it all the time. And just your question there, it's a great one. I'm struggling to think of one, although I will say one side or the other of the main debate that I get in with other certain instructors uh, is about shaping the ball one direction. One of us is right there. Either I, I'm right that you 
shouldn't try to shape it both directions or they're right that you should be trying to. And, and I just, I firmly believe that. Well, I, I, I yeah, think with, with some people, with yeah, but well, I think some people on that conversation, I think, um, I think you guys might get kind of lost in the oh, I'm you right, you're wrong situation. And <laughs> I think what some of them are saying is, um, it's okay to work the, it's preferable to work the ball in one direction when you're on the golf course, go with your stock shot. But when you're off the golf course, it's good to practice a lot of different variations because it, for somebody like me, it teaches, it helps to teach me club face control. And so me trying to hit big hooks, big fades, hit it low, hit it high, hit it on different parts of the face. For somebody like me, that that helps to teach me some skills that I don't necessarily, you know, have, and it helps me to improve. So I think some people are saying that. Uh, I think and- that sounds good on paper. I don't think that I, personally, again, that might be true for you. I, I just, I think that doing everything you can to have your swing, just do one thing over and over again. And again, I, I don't teach the game for a living. So I'm fully aware that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm swimming against the current here, but I think that's like some things where, you know, like I want to be able to, to, to do both things. So that way my swing stays balanced or whatever. Mm, it's not, it's not about staying balanced. That's not what it's about. It's about, it's about learning and teaching your, your, you uh, teaching yourself to deliver the club head in different ways. Like I struggle with heel contact. And when I very, very specifically work on intentionally trying to hit the ball, like almost off the edge of but the face on the toe. In my opinion, I would agree right? with you. Doing well, that. the reason, right. the reason Lou struggles with heel <clears throat> contact is because his heel is about two inches in the air. You see how high his hands are at impact it's because his toe is the only thing touching the ground it's almost impossible for you to hit the heel bruh i've been working that's not the... to do with it in different shapes listen that's to do with your been, dynamic lie i've been working the fishing pole <laughs> the rope and the towel so a lot of good progress <laughs> so what about you lou in the old stat world what do we believe now that won't be true in 22 years 21 years whatever uh, time Have you i don't know one? i mean i, like I don't there's i think that's fair his decade at me tries to I like what you say there, Lou, um, Scott, that you try, you know, good thing with an app is it, it gets upgraded. It can develop. And that's something I've done over. I've got videos on YouTube that aren't right. I don't take them down. I keep them on there to show people my development as a coach. Look, those ideas with how to hit a free wood from the ground was what I felt. They weren't actually physically what was happening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, so what about you? What, what, I, I don't know. I mean, I think the, if I knew what they were right now, I would say they were wrong right now. And, and there's, you know, we, but there we must, have you must have some inclinations. You must I don't, have some I really, I really couldn't, I, I don't know. I wouldn't even try to make a guess. I will say that um, it's important to be open-minded because knowledge does evolve. And there are things that we consider absolute truths right now that will be different. And uh, it, it might be different next week. Right. Somebody yeah. could come out with something next week and, and we learn more. And I think the important thing is that you have to be open minded and be willing to adapt to that new information. And like yeah. I see 
today, like, and, and this has happened more than once. Um, I've been at golf courses and been on a range and heard a pro giving a lesson. And I think there's a lot of players that don't understand modern ball flight laws. I still think there's a, there's a number of professionals teaching the game that don't understand modern ball flight laws. So yeah. it's important to, to stay current and to learn and, and always be trying to learn more and, and be open-minded as we do learn more. Yeah, absolutely. So things that I think that could move, I'm surprised none of you have mentioned the more mental side of golf, I think, where stats have blown up in the last few years. And there's still millions of golfers that stats don't touch and they are not interested in. Um, and I think that's got a way to develop, but it is going in a great way. I do think what Scott often says in lots of the podcasts with the mental training and how people do put more time into things like controlling emotions, making sure they're focused, learning how to stay focused at the right time. You know, golf, when we play, we're out there three hours, four hours, tour pros out there five hours. It's There's got to be dips and not in people's mental performance that might lead to some kind of, um, you know, percentage of shots lost during the round. So I do think that's got a massive um, realms for improvement because mainly no one's really apart from the odd voices out there, it's not a mass, it's not like a, it's not like a mass taught thing, is it? So I think that's something that definitely could be um, something that we learn a lot more of as we go on. Well, I think that's just teaching it better than necessarily something that's going to change. As in, well, what I mean by change, as in it's too easy at the moment for golfers to be, there's certain demographics of tour players who are just, you know, they're relaxed. They, they're, they're easy going. They're just good at golf and so on and so forth. Where if the mental game gets stronger and these players start becoming the better players, then others will have to follow. There won't be much room left for the ones who aren't working on that side of that game or unless they're already naturally strong at that part of their game, possibly. I will say that I, you know, me personally, maybe this is just my getting more comfortable with my role as a teacher, but whenever I first started teaching this stuff in 2015 and 16, let's call it, uh, I I felt pretty, you know, insecure or awkward talking about meditation. Like I definitely felt like I'm going to lose my audience. I talked about it last. I taught them everything else. So I, I didn't get them to just tune out with this is some sort of metaphysical mumbo jumbo stuff. But now I, I basically, shout it from the rooftops all day long. I talked about Sam Harris's waking up app, honestly, probably as much or more than the decade app, uh, because I do believe not just for quality of golf, but just quality of life. I do believe it's the most important thing that I teach. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And and you say there, when I said that, it's quite interesting how you almost underplayed it, not on purpose, but you said, oh, that's just a case of teaching it better. Well, that's no different to the ball flight laws. The ball flight laws have been there since the big bang because it's just physics we just didn't teach it correctly and the mental training side of it has been there since humans existed in a modern world um it's just that we're possibly not teaching it properly or looking in that can of worms which i I think you are of anyone i've met you're looking in there more than anyone else which is i i just think that's something that could change and something that we would see 
as wrong. You can't go into tournaments with this frame of mind. You can't go into tournaments not understanding how to control these emotions. That's sure. wrong. That's how they used to do it. This is how we now do it. Other sports have done it. Other sports have done it and have, have looked in there. So, um, And then the other thing as well, I think that might change is around the distance debate. I'm, I'm hoping people will calm down. And I say the distance debate because I don't really see it much as a debate personally, but longer courses, Again, I've said this in other pods, it would be interesting if shorter courses were tried out a little bit more and the mix up to see what happens. There was definitely an era of golf where the courses just seemed to want to get longer and longer and longer and longer, tiger-proof, tiger-proof, tiger-proof. And possibly that was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction, something that we might change uh, our minds to. And then I've just written down distance is a problem for everyone, Lou. I'm it, hoping it, that's something that we will, we will it, learn is true. Distance is from everyone. I think it is. Sarcasm think, alert. Yeah, Sarcasm so, alert. I think it is. There you go. Well, thank you, guys. So I'll leave you to your meditation, Scott. See, it's just too easy to take the mick out of meditation, isn't it? That's the problem with it. As us, us like burly blokes, you it's know, just, we're like, oh, meditation. Like, I just want to be here after, you know, that's, the, that's what you're going to be competing against, isn't it? Uh, well, I'm telling you, I mean, like, again, I, I teach it as much or more than anybody probably in the entire game. And it's something that even myself, like I tell other people, like I always say, like, don't watch me too closely. I'm just telling you what I think is best. It doesn't mean that I'm very good at doing it. And I definitely got into a little rut after my elbow and everything where I wasn't doing it as consistent as I would certainly like. And I kind of got to where I was in a pretty pissy mood, of, of, you know, about three or four weeks ago. And I kind of redoubled my efforts and I went through three 10 minute sessions a day for like three straight weeks. And I've definitely kind of circled back into, to being a little bit calmer, a little bit more focused. Obviously I've got a great little Twitter experiment going on right now where I haven't really tweeted in a week and a half. And shockingly, that's making me a lot happier. So yeah. I'm going <laughs> to go with that thing too. Nice. I'm done. I'm, I, yeah. am, I, am, I, I have officially ripped the bandaid off on that one. I don't think I'm coming back. Really? Yeah, don't yeah, blame I'm you. out. I'm so what blame are you going to do? You no Instagram, no Twitter, no nothing. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, I heard Joe Rogan say, I'm just a post and ghost. I've, I, if you go look, I've posted about one thing a day for the last, week and a half on each one and i basically stayed out of the comments stayed out of everything and i'm, I'm out i i truly have figured out i hate it and i don't need it and i am out yeah i like that and that's the thing what i always think is interesting with that and this is just slightly off topic here just a little bonus for everyone at the end of this pod <laughs> is that it's the what ruins such a great network of, of voices is the people that use them like I always like people always say like people don't like corporate accounts, say on Twitter, they want individuals. They don't want it to be corporatized. But the trouble is, if you don't become more corporate, it doesn't really work because lots of people actually don't want to listen to facts or truths or, or new ideas. They just want the same old stuff. So there is an element of, like, well, okay, well, we'll just give you what you want. I mean, newspapers and magazines have been doing that for years, haven't they? Basically, I mean, I basically had convinced myself. I mean, it, literally, we have never spent a dollar on advertising in our life or marketing or anything. And I had, you know, just kind of lied to myself saying, you know, this is our only form of marketing and our sales are great. So I'm going to keep on doing it. And, you know, in the last week, we haven't, haven't 
had an average day less than the normal average leading into it. And again, it's only 10 days in, so who knows what the carryover effect is, but I definitely think that the vast majority of our sales come from word of mouth out on the street because it is such a great product. And I just need to let that done. I mean, again, I obviously know I rub people the wrong way on Twitter. So I probably run off as many sales as I gain from it. But I'm just like me but as a you human. People off, you run people off on Twitter because, again, you have an opinion based on, uh, you know, you're, you're a skilled person in your field. And that's where things like Twitter just becomes a funny mix of voices because you have non-skilled people arguing with people who are dedicating a big portion of their lives to trying to learn what actually is going on in this game. And it's like, well, why am I even like, this is, this is like down the pub chat. Like this is, this is like down the pub chat that you don't even remember the next day. So <laughs> I, I like, I like what you're saying there, Scott. I think it's just share what's on your mind, share it with your followers who want to learn and let everyone get on with it. As long as you keep sharing that great knowledge, which you are doing, um, yeah, I don't, I don't I think like it, it has to be so e either or, um, with social media. Um, if it wasn't for Twitter, I wouldn't have met both of you. Right. And so I don't think it has to be, you know, post and ghost as you called it. I have created some post and go. He um, said um, post and go, I think post and, go. Post and ghost. Post and oh, ghost. ghost. Sorry. I yeah. <laughs> I, I've created uh, some great friendships from Twitter. Are there some, you know, conversations I get into occasionally that I don't, you know, like in hindsight, wish I wouldn't have you sure. Are there some people that send me some, you know, less than flattering DMS on occasion? Sure. I kind of tune those folks out. I block them. I mute them. But if I completely disengaged, like I, all the friendships and the people that I've met, that would all go away. So I but definitely is, think there's a yeah, use but there's for a it. secret to that, Lou. I've told you the secret to that. I won't say it on the thing in there, but there's a secret to that that you do with a little setting in the back end. <laughs> sure. But this is this is for me though. Again, now we're totally just we are up. we are literally <laughs> yeah. off. But topic. I do think this is but important. Hey, stuff, maybe we're not because in 22 hey. years time, maybe we realize that Twitter was wrong. <laughs> if you've made it this far, you're probably going to finish hearing it out. So for you, Lou, you might be correct. This is where I have become a little bit more self-aware. Like I have, obviously I'm somewhere on the spectrum. I'm I'm fine with saying that. I definitely have spent. <laughs> most of my life arguing in some form or fashion with people that I think are just wrong or just whatever. Like it's definitely me. I'm not good at Twitter's Twitter's just an awful medium for me, for you. It might not be. And I agree. Like I met you through it. I met Mark. Like I've, I've got a lot of great stuff and I've, I've, you know, claimed some little bit of uh, golf notoriety largely because of Twitter. If I hadn't been on Twitter, I wouldn't have gotten on, you know, the foreplay podcast and some really big, cool things. Um, but at this point in my life, like I'm willing to, to step back from that. Like, it's just not worth it for me. Like personally, it's just, it just drives me crazy mainly. And, and what it is, is I have finally figured out that my adversaries on social media have no intention whatsoever of an honest ethical debate. And, and that's the thing that a few people have texted me what some of my uh, adversaries have said, to them where they're basically like, Oh, I know his stuff is perfect. I just don't like him. And I'm like, well, what, what am I doing arguing with somebody that knows I'm right. And you're just arguing because you don't like me. Like that yeah. is the, the literal definition of wasting my time. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's, and it's, and it's making me unhappy. Like I just, I've, I've noticed it a little bit creeping more into my, 
my life, which again is what I talk about getting back to doing a little bit more meditation, which is how we got onto this in the first place. But for me, I'm not good at it. So I, I have to stop you, Lou, you're a much more uh, docile and mature adult. (laughs) You've been in corporate America. I mean, honestly, I do think that's a big part of it. I've never had a job in my life. So I've never had anybody tell me what I can and can't do. And I don't handle it well. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Well, in 20 years time, we'll find out if Twitter was right or wrong for golf. And also we'll find out how right or wrong we were. It'd be interesting, wouldn't it, in 20 years time? uh, I think it's 50-50 that in 20 years time, the world doesn't exist because of Twitter. So (laughs) (laughs) no one one around to point at the scoreboard. I told you this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. There you go. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We tried to talk the ball flight laws and we ended up talking about Twitter. But as always, it was a fun (laughs) pod. Thanks for listening. Remember to leave a review down below. Hit those stars as always. And hit Scott up on his his Twitter account. Send that man some love. Come on, audience. Send nice tweets to Scott. I won't see it. And he'll come back. (laughs) 